Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. We are here for another episode to help you learn to earn, take your investing to the next level. We're going to help you get started, overcome some of the issues that you may be running across. That is our job. That's why we are here. And this week will be no different. Today, folks, you got just me. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about why do sellers lie? And, you know, you hear this, you hear buyers are liars out there in the marketplace. I hear this a lot. Don't let me take anything away from you. Yeah, there's plenty of buyers that are liars out there. There's no doubt there. However, sellers are liars. Brokers are liars. It's reality of thing. Now, I pride myself on doing honest and ethical business 100% of the time. You know, and, and I'm sure that I've lost a lot of business over the years because the one thing I'm never going to sacrifice is my integrity. In other words, nothing to me is more important than my integrity. Now, there's a fine line between misrepresenting the facts, flat out misrepresenting the facts or lying or marketing. In other words, this comes up a lot, especially with new investors. They, they hear the word pro forma and they're not quite sure what pro forma means. Now, Basically, folks, pro forma is a definition that talks about the intended performance of something, what it can do down the road. And I'm going to go ahead and read you the right out of Investopedia. I'm going to read it to you. Investopedia, by the way, folks, is a great website. If you really want to get definitions to uh, investment-related terms, go to Investopedia, investopedia.com. But anyway, so Investopedia, what does pro forma mean? It's two words. It's Latin, pro forma. It says a Latin term literally means the sake of form or as a matter of form. In the world of investing, pro forma refers to a method by which financial results are calculated. Okay, so so far that doesn't sound so bad, right? No big deal. Pro forma is a method by which financial, financial results are calculated. Great. Let's go to the next one. This is the method of, the method of calculation places emphasis on present or projected, I'm going to throw a little underline, maybe some quotation marks on projected figures. Financial statements that utilize pro forma method of calculation are often designed to draw focus to specific figures when an earnings announcement is issued by a company and made available to the public, particularly potential investors. So folks, some of you are thinking that makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it does if you're in the stock market, and, and this is a term that's used often in financial markets, the stock market for one, where a company is going to do a merger acquisition or something like that, and, and they're going to make certain statements, a pro forma, basically that, that shows what they think their company is going to be doing down the road. 
And I can tell you that those performers, they put a lot of time and effort into those performers. Are they always accurate? I'm going to say no. But are they manufactured? Well, I'm sure they are sometimes. Now, in the real estate world, performers have gotten so inaccurate, it's gotten to a complete idiocracy how, how far they off they are. So let's continue with this definition because I think it's important. These pro forma statements, it goes on to say, may also be designed to indicate a change proposed by a company, such as an acquisition or a merger. Investors should be aware of a company's pro forma financial statements may hold figures or calculations that are not in compliance with generally accepted accounting principles. Generally accepted accounting principles. In some instances, it says, pro forma figures are vastly different than those generated with generally accepted accounting principles. It says pro forma results in the United States boomed in the late 1990s surrounding the dot-com companies that used this method to make losses appear like profits or, at a minimum, to reveal much greater losses than obviously indicated through U.S. generally accepted accounting principles. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, remember I talked about that in previous episodes, they're the watchdog agency that's out there to keep regulation and, and to enforce uh, the, the securities, basically securities laws. The SEC, uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, responded by firmly requiring publicly traded companies in the country to report and make public U.S. GAAP-based financial results. The SEC also made it clear that utilizing pro forma results to lie about or grossly misconstrue GAAP-based results would be deemed fraud and punishable by law if investors were misled. Ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much lays it out right there, courtesy of Investopedia. So we've got an industry, a real estate industry, that puts out certain projections that are based in nothing it's smoke and mirrors it's flat out a lie that last paragraph i'm gonna read that last sentence again the sec also made it clear that utilizing pro forma results to lie about or grossly misconstrue general accounting results would be deemed fraud and punishable by law if investors were misled Ladies and gentlemen, that's a pretty powerful statement if you think about that for a minute. You start knocking on doors. I'm, I'm, I've seen some pro formas where they're saying that the rent is, the units are going are generating pro forma $1,200 a month, and they're running for $500. That's a pretty big leap. And, um, you know, I, 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 using the words fraud and punishable by law, that's the SEC. Okay, that's not Tyler saying that. That's the Securities and Exchange Commission. So understand that they're out there, the SEC's out there, they're regulating the stock market, but it doesn't seem like they're really paying attention to the real estate market. Because I'm here to tell you, this is just a fact of life in real estate. It shouldn't be, but it is. So listening to what we just said about pro forma, for some reason, we think it's okay to use it in real estate. Folks, you know... I have a trouble. I, I struggle with this. I really do. I struggle with this. I struggle with this because I believe it's misrepresentation. I believe when you represent something as being a certain way 
and you find out otherwise that it's not that way, I believe that's considered, to me, that's fraudulent. I think it's misrepresentation. I think it's bait and switch. I think it's just generally slimy business, folks. Yet it's become an acceptable way of doing business in this country in the real estate market. Wholesalers do this when they determine ARV. Half the time, they're completely guessing. I've had them admit they're completely guessing. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you're out there doing deals, it's your responsibility to do your homework to understand what your exit strategy is going to look like realistically. In other words, if a wholesaler tells you ARV, and for those of you just tuning in, ARV is after repaired value. That is the value that a wholesaler would use to basically pitch the property. Hey, I got this under contract for 100000 and if you put 50000 into it, the ARV would make it 200000 So after, what they're basically saying is you buy it for a hundred, you put 50000 into it, it'll be worth 200000 when you're done fixing it. This is the same thing, guys. This is a form of pro forma. This is a form of pro forma. So they're making they're making promises essentially with their mouth that they're they're the the deal can't cash. Okay, that's a problem for me. I, that's just that's an ethical business in my opinion. However, it's the way business is done. So here, the problem I have with this is not enough people are speaking about it. Not enough people are stepping up to say, "Hey, guys." Do some homework because I have too many people that call me after the fact when it's too late that are running into these problems and then they're in deep trouble. So we don't want to get you to be one of those people. So let's hopefully let's make sure that doesn't happen. I don't want you to get led down a path. That's that's one of my goals here is to make sure that you have the information you need to make good, solid decisions. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, sellers and brokers, they're educating us on the potential of a certain investment property. Understand that. They're under educating us on the potential. I have been in this business for 18 years almost, coming up on 18 years. Okay. In those 18 years, I have never once seen any sort of remote accuracy in a pro forma ever. If I'm told the properties rent for 700, they are never accurate. They always rent for less every single time. Every property you're going to look at as a buy and hold investor is obviously going to be able, oh, it'll rent for more money. The landlord just doesn't want to upset the tenants. So what, you're supposed to then? If the guy could get more money, I'm pretty much thinking he would have. I don't really want to hear that, oh, it's under market rent. No kidding. Everything's under market rent. But just because the landlord is either a coward, lazy, a scared unskilled, whatever word you want to throw to it, doesn't mean that I'm going to pay him based on the potential of a property. Now, folks, this is the key right here. It all comes down to this. So write this down. Do not pay for a property based on its future potential. That means if they say the rent will be or could be $1,000 a month, your reply should be some variation of that's awesome. As soon as you raise those rents to $1,000 a month and get new leases for those, those tenants, I'll be more than happy to value the property and pay for the property based on that new figure. Don't get suckered into doing other th- you know, doing, paying for a property as if it was producing 1000 Because here's the thing, folks. You're going to run yourself clear out of business that way. Your investors are going to drag you down the streets. 
that's doing bad business. That's how you get yourself in financial trouble. So you buy based on the performance that a property is doing now. And I realize that when you're in the purchasing phase, when you're out there doing writing offers, you're not going to get accurate numbers, folks. I don't want you to think that you're going to get accurate numbers because you're not going to get accurate numbers. I just said I've been doing this business off and on now 18 years. And in all that time, never once have I ever got accurate numbers the first time go. I just haven't. I don't even get mad about it anymore because I realize I expect it to happen. I'm I am never pleasantly surprised. It always happens because I always expect it. So I want you to analyze the deal based on what you're provided. Okay. Ask them for actuals. They're going to give you some variation of actuals. I guarantee you it's not going to be 100% accurate. That's fine. We'll get to that in a second. Get some information. And a lot of times people ask me, well, Tyler, what if it's property's vacant? Then what? Well, then I would take a very conservative rent estimate that you come up with on your own. Don't take the broker's advice for it. Don't take the seller's advice for it. You should be doing some market research. Call some property managers. Here's my favorite one. Property managers, they want to get the property rented as quickly as possible with the least amount of effort, right? Because they're human, right? Nobody's like, oh, let me work harder. Listen, guys, they want to get the properties rented quickly. Let's just call it what it is. You can call it lazy. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Let's just call it realistic. That's just facts. If you were in that situation, you'd probably do the same thing. That's why most properties are under-rented. So if a landlord or a property manager tells you it's going to rent for six fifty, you can pretty much assume that there's a potential for it to do much more. You're just going to have to work a little bit for it, right? So if they tell you six fifty, that's fine. Maybe figure in six if they tell you six fifty. That way you're being conservative. There are ways to get the seller on board with this and with this line of thinking when you're talking to the seller. Because remember, guys, whenever possible, you should be seller direct. Or if you're working with an agent, make sure that agent is working for you, talking to the seller directly. Okay, listing agent can be present, granted, but if there's a broker involved, the broker should be representing your needs directly to the seller, and there's no reason why you couldn't be there or be on that call. So insist on that. We'll talk about that in future episodes. I'm going to have some episodes coming up for realtors to help realtors be bigger, better investors, and we'll cover that topic later. I don't want to digress too much on this episode. Going back to pro forma, get the information that you can that's as accurate as you could possibly be just to get it under contract. Understanding that, you can always go back in and negotiate later. I know some of you are going, oh, dude, you have no idea, man. I'm terrified of negotiating because... You know, it was hard enough to get it negotiated the first time. I don't want to go back and do it a second time. Here's the thing, folks. Here's what I got to say about that. First, quit being a big baby. Two, who cares, guys? You know, if you weren't provided accurate information, that is, there is no better reason to go in and negotiate than that. It doesn't get any better than that. Put on your big girl pants, big boy pants, whichever applies to you. And go back in there, roll up your sleeves and negotiate. Because here's the thing. If they told you it rents for seven fifty. And after talking to the tenants and getting a, a, what they call an estoppel letter, and the tenant says, no, I pay six fifty. Well, there's a problem because your whole underwriting is useless if, if that information is not accurate. Some of you are probably wondering, what's an estoppel letter? An estoppel letter is something you should get. And probably every realtor and every seller, seller on the planet right now is going, God, Tyler, please don't tell them about estoppel letters. It'll make my job so much harder. Well, tough. I'm here to protect the public. So here's what an estoppel letter is. It is a letter that you can have your attorney 
uh, draft, or you could probably download one online, that basically says, I, John Q. Tennant, or Sally Tennant, certify that I pay X amount per month and that I have X amount of deposit on hold with the seller. And my lease starts started on such and such a day and it expires on such and such a day. Basically, it's a means of verifying fact. Now, you don't need this before you write an offer. Don't get into this before you write an offer. No seller in their right mind, including me, would, ne- would ever, ever, ever let you do this um, before you have an offer. Get an offer in place, then make this part of the due diligence process. And in your offer, folks, you're going to put it in there that certain things will be needed to complete the due diligence process. Those things, when the due diligence process is complete, then you will move forward into inspections and all that. So that gives you an out. Okay. And we're going to talk about the actual buying process and some upcoming episodes here. So a little more detail. So folks, let's one more time. Projected rent is nothing more than a guess. Okay. Now for you, you got to remember you owe it to yourself and your investors, whether the investors be the bank or, or other friends, financial friends, people with IRAs, whatever you owe it to them to do your homework. You don't inv- we don't invest for the purpose of losing money, okay? So if you got that property that they say rents for seven fifty, you sign on the dotted line and don't do your homework and you close and find out it rents for six fifty, you're going to owe your investors an explanation. And if I was one of your investors, I'd start that explanation with, here's the number of Cliff Hunt. Cliff Hunt is my attorney. Um, I'm going to want my money back, thank you very much, because this now became a high-risk deal because you misrepresented the numbers. Don't get into that trap. Don't do that. Projected rent is nothing more than a guess, folks. Please understand that, okay? Projected rent is nothing more than a guess. And for you, it should be a discovery during your diligence period, okay? It should be a discovery during your due diligence period. Not a figure, just you pluck out of the air. It shouldn't be provided by anybody. Nobody should be giving that to you. Now, a couple other things I want to talk about before we wrap up today that are important I won't harp on that rent anymore. We're going to cover this in more detail in future episodes, but many sellers and brokers do not factor vacancy loss or management expenses when they do a pro forma. Vacancy is almost always omitted. Probably 95% of the, of the, or 90% of the pro formas that I look at do not include vacancy loss at all, as if nobody ever moves. And on the smaller assets, I see them always leaving management off. And the argument is, well, you can manage it yourself. Uh, no, I can't. I will not manage it myself, so we're going to factor management. So you're going to have to do that little bit of a dance, okay? That just understand that's just a fact of life. They're going to do that, well, you know, the, the seller had it, managed it himself. Well, the seller wants to work for free. That's great, but Tyler doesn't work for free ever. Um, so with my when I'm doing a deal for my clients, and I know you guys probably don't realize this, but I am a licensed realtor, just in case you didn't know. And I do work with buyers that are looking for multifamily property that want to buy correctly, want to buy right. We will, we will represent you, my team. I've got a team of agents and a team of attorneys and accountants that will help you through the process and represent you as an agent. We want to make sure that you are well protected. That's important to us. The best part is who's paying us? Well, certainly not you. Your tenants are paying us if it's structured properly. And, and, and that's way we do it with a lot of people. And whatever it takes we get is we try to get it to where our, our fee is paid over time after the purchase is made. It's called a promissory note. We take a second or third position in the deal and we take monthly payments. That way, the, really, the tenants wind up paying our fee. 
that also helps us stay. We stay with our buyers when we do a deal to help them get through the process. We like to stay engaged with them to help them be successful. I know most agents don't do that. Most agents are going, listen to the show going, dude's lost his mind. There's no way I'm going to do that. Do that. Well, we do because we feel that an investor that's successful, we find them a great de- opportunity, a great deal. We structure a great deal. We help them uh, stabilize this property, help them build their team, get them pointing in the right direction. What are they going to do? They're going to buy more property. And guys, that's a big part of what we do is helping other people buy multifamily property, helping them get with the right lender, helping them learn how to underwrite. Now, we only take on a few buyers at a time because the quality of the service that we provide is very, very important to us. And we do have some openings coming up. But if you're more interested, if you're interested in buying property in the state of Florida for investment, then reach out to me. Get on the phone. Give me a call. Make an appointment. Let's talk about it. May see if we can help you out. We do it for other people. No reason why we can't do it for you. I digress. Um, Sellers and brokers, they like to do the self-management gig. Okay, don't fall for this. All right. And if they do actually put management in, they'll sometimes put in like 5%, 8%. There are cases I've seen them put 10. But realistically, guys, property management is going to cost you more than 10%. Here's why. I've never met a property manager that only charges 10%, period. Many many of them, as they well should, they charge when they get a phone call after hours, when some tenant calls them because the sink's leaking or the toilet's stopped up. These things incur costs. That falls in the property management section, okay? So understand that. The property management costs, they can get pretty decent uh, pretty quickly. So keep these things in mind, that these are real fees. They're going to happen. Just allow for it. I always allow 15% for management. Okay, 15% for management. That covers what I'm going to pay them, which is usually around 10%, uh, sometimes a little more if they're worth it. And then um, I will allow for those extra things. And if you think about a property that's, let's just look at a single family house that's running for $750 a month. What does that extra 5% really equate to? Let's do that. $750 times 5%. That's $37 a month, guys. $37 a month. Over a year, that's 450 bucks. So why wouldn't you build that in, that $450 cushion? Because I'm here to tell you, you're going to spend it. That 450 is going to come out of your proceeds. I guarantee it. It will happen. So you might as well allow for it so that your own numbers are accurate, okay? Always, always, always make sure that you've left, left yourself some extra padding. Now, vacancy loss is another one. Now, if they mention it, it's always going to be shown far lower than what market indicators and proper research will show, guys. Fact. How you get, how you verify this? I always ask for, I want a 24-month rent roll, okay? 24-month rent roll. And what that basically, why I want the rent rolls, because it, a proper rent roll shows the apartment number, the name of the person occupying the apartment, and the amount of the rent they pay. A couple things I'm looking for there, folks. Number one, I'm looking for turnover. I don't care if the place is 100% rented today because that can all be done on paper. They can give a $100 move-in special the week before I went and looked at the property or right as we went under contract and filled the place full of garbage tenants garbage tenants to make it look good. So I want to see that, that those tenants have been there for a long time. little building we bought over in Tampa, 
One lady's been there for 29 years, I believe. Her daughter occupies another apartment. She's been there her whole life. So that goes to show you. 30 years in one place. Imagine the fun I'm going to have raising the rent. That should be a treat. Um, anyway, vacancy loss, it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. Okay. You're going to have to learn how to analyze vacancy loss for your market. I'm going to have a little mini course coming up on topics like this here. I'm going to put these out in the Cashflow Guys community if you're on Facebook. But anyway, vacancy loss, perfect example, we just bought this building over in Tampa. It was fully occupied when we bought it. Uh, we had one tenant we had to remove because she was not being nice. So we had to get rid of her. And when we got rid of her, we now have vacancy loss because we, we had, she had to go. And, of course, she's a disgusting, dirty body, so we had to now clean, rip the carpets out and put tile down and paint and clean and, and whatnot. So that means we're probably going to have about two months' worth of vacancy loss. Here's the good news. We allowed for that in our pro forma when we bought it. When we did our own due diligence, we built in, I believe it was 20% vacancy loss, maybe 15%. I don't remember offhand, but 15 to 20% vacancy loss is what we allowed for. And some of you are thinking, well, that's way high. Well, here's the thing, guys. I don't do this to lose money. I don't do this to take unnecessary risk. I, I do it right or I don't do it at all. So for me, we're going to be conservative. We're going to put in more than what it should be. Because remember, these, this number, these numbers are your protection, your insurance policy. This is your protection. It's your money or worse, your investor's money that's going out, going down the drain if you're not doing this correctly. Another big one is most investors do not factor the cost of debt service into the underwriting of the deal. Folks, if, I don't care if you're paying cash. I hear this a lot. Well, I'm paying cash. Well, first of all, why in the hell would you be paying cash? But I'm going to go ahead and assume that maybe you mean you're paying with somebody else's cash, and that would make me feel better. But let's say let's assume that you're dumb enough to go out and pay cash for a multifamily. Did I just say that on the air? Oh, well, too late. But um, let's just say that you're silly enough to go out and pay cash for a property. Well, that money should have been earning money before you withdrew it from your CD or whatever you were doing with it, just took it out of your mattress or unloaded it out of the shoeboxes. That money should be earning some sort of a return before you invested it in the property. Okay, so if you pulled that money out, let's say you borrowed that money from a, a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, or you took it out of your 401k or whatever you did. I don't care. You did a cash advance on your credit card, whatever, however you got the money. There's a cost associated with that. There is realistically a cost associated with that. So money is not free, folks. It's not free. Okay, and Until you're the government and can start printing it yourself, all money, even when you pay cash, has a use factor. So make sure you allow for that in your deal. Unless money grows on trees, folks, this is going to have to be factored. I don't care if you're paying cash or not. Debt service is always going to be there in some degree. If you use the home equity line then you would put down the payment, the interest rate of that home equity line into your calculations, into your underwriting spreadsheet. Okay, that's very, very, very important. I can't seem to stress that enough. And again, you can negotiate a great deal, a fantastic deal, and then go out and get lousy financing. And there's a lot of lousy financing out there all over the place, ladies and gentlemen. It's very easy to get, to get bad financing. It's a lot easier to get bad financing than it is to get good, that I assure you. So don't fall into that trap of getting bad financing. Get good, solid financing. And I don't want to hear, well, I got terrible credit because you know what? I have a credit repair business. If you guys, 
are concerned about your credit, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash credit repair. Just do that forward slash credit repair. I've partnered up with uh, National Credit Federation and they will get your credit turned around if your score is too low. Quit whining about it. Go download the ebook there at cashflowguys.com forward slash credit repair and get going. Start solving that problem. So I hope today that you guys learned something that you took away from, that you don't get suckered into these pro formas, that you don't fall for these lies. I do this because I care about you. I want you to do good business. I want my future customers, if you wind up buying property through me, you're not going to have to worry about these lies because we're going to sniff out. We are watchdogs. We are going to sniff out the ridiculousness. I've built a team of investors that happen to be realtors to serve you, to serve the Tampa Bay market. Well, I don't care if you're buying a house to live in it or I've got agents that focus on residential property that they just buy and sell, help people buy and sell houses to live in. That is part of our business. But the primary part of our business, of course, is helping people invest in real estate, whether that be single family houses to apartment buildings. I've got agents working for me on my team that can handle all aspects of that. So it's very important if you're looking to do any type of a real estate transaction in the state of Florida, you need some help, pick up the phone, give us a call, go on the website, send me a message to the website. You can text message us right through cashflowguys.com now if you want. Then we'll go to our team and we'll get somebody assigned to you and get going on getting you going in the right direction. So that's what I got for you this week, folks. I hope that you have a productive week. I hope that you take action. I want to see you take things to the next level. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, just go over to cashflowguys.com forward slash TV. Cashflowguys.com forward slash TV takes you to our YouTube channel. And uh, there you can subscribe to our YouTube channel because I've built a new studio. And we're putting all kinds of training materials on YouTube as well. So we look forward to talking to you next time. And don't be afraid to reach out to us this week. Talk to you later. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.